The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Good to be with you today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 32 or in your Version app, you can follow along there. We had a great week at camp, a lot of movement from the Lord. The, the kids were amazing. Um, and we, we, man, we had a great time just cooking for them. And cooking is a lot of work, man. Every, that meal, like, as soon as you finish one meal and get cleaned up, it's time to start the next meal. And man, it, it just was, let's just say I was glad to eat an omelet from Price Chopper yesterday that I did not make. Uh, but it's, it's good to be back uh, uh, with you today and uh, the, the sabbatical. Um, I'm not sure uh, what, I've, what I've gotten myself into um, and Abby agreed to it. So there, part of, part of what, like I had this, I think I shared a few weeks ago, like I felt a real strong call from the Lord to go to Montana and spend some time uh, there. And it was supposed to be around a horse because when I lived in Oklahoma, I had a horse since I was like 10 years old. And so before we moved up here, I, I sold my horses. And so I, I kind of wanted to have some time on a horse. And uh, so I found an outfitter, and um, <laughs> so I said, you know, I worked out a deal with this guy. He made me a really good deal so that I could pack into the backcountry for seven days, and, and since I'd, I did another trip on the front side of that, so the, the sabbatical was going to have a family focus um, and, and a spiritual focus, a solitude focus, and a, and a marriage focus, and so I told Abby, I said, Hey, you want to go to Montana with me and ride into the backcountry for for four days on a horse? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> okay, so like I'm sitting there, I've started doing the numbers. I was like, okay, so I'll be sleeping on a sleeping mat for four days, then a two-day break, and then seven more days. So Abby, I, I don't know if you're prepared for this, but this is not a luxury trip. Uh, but anyway, pray for us on that because we will be out in the wilderness, deep into Yellowstone, uh, with just a, a few other people, and, and we're looking forward to connecting with each other, connecting with the Lord. Uh, and then I will bring her out and go back in. Maybe not. Maybe I'll come out and be. I'm done. Uh, but uh, that that is the plan, and I, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, thank you for. Um, Thank you for, for caring about my spiritual health uh, and allowing us the opportunity to do this. I've never done it, and I'm looking forward to it and believe the Lord is really going to use it uh, to shape not only me, but the ministry of the church. And so uh, I'm very excited about that. Um, okay, so today uh, we're, we're talking about fierce. And here's the deal. The, the key to becoming fierce for the Lord is learning the secret of surrender. Like this, oftentimes I will encounter people and people believe in the Lord, but there is a difference in believing in the Lord and surrendering to the Lord. And when we learn the secret of surrender is when we experience movement. It's like a breakthrough. Uh, so there's a huge difference between Jesus as Savior and Jesus as Lord. And so you may know Jesus as Savior, and he's forgiven you of your sins, and you've come to know him, but you don't yet know him as Lord. And he describes himself as Lord and Savior. And really, we are to know him that way, but a lot of times, it takes some time for people to come to that point of surrender. 
And the sad thing about that is, is that the longer it takes for you to fully surrender to the Lord in all areas of your life and move beyond just having Jesus as Savior, but to having him as Lord as well, the longer you wait, the more of life you are missing. Because all of the the fierceness that we've been talking about as we've been looking at these different people in the Bible, it comes from this surrender, the ability to lay it all down. You know, we sing a song, lay it all down, lay it all down, lay it all down at the feet of Jesus. And that's because we sing that song and it's meaningful to us because we often have a difficult time laying it all down. We'll lay some of it down. We'll think about, well, man, I want my sin to be laid down, but the stuff I like I may not want to lay down. The stuff that is important to me, the stuff that is going to cost me some sacrifice, uh, finances, time, giftedness, these things, like they can be more difficult to lay down. Um, Allowing the Lord to have complete control in my relationships where I'm concerned about um, the relationships that I have, both friendships and uh, romantic relationships. If we're in this place, a, a phase of of, of dating or, or, or getting to, you know, maybe moving toward marriage, surrendering those things and not try, trying to hold on to them. And often what we will do is we'll hold on to them because we're afraid of what might happen if we fully surrender that to the Lord. We may be alone or we may have to terminate a relationship that we know we have with a person that is not honoring the Lord themselves. And so that can be scary stuff. But when we enter into that place and we fully surrender to the Lord that way and we start making our decisions about who we're going to really be intimate in our friendships with, um, then we start getting movement. We start getting breakthrough. And what happens is the joy of the Lord uh, becomes our strength. And Jesus said that when we abide in him and we fully surrender to him, that we will produce fruit in our lives. And he also said in John chapter 10 that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Now, I know what I'm talking about in this stuff because uh, I can remember when I met the Lord that I surrendered there for a time that I was only nine years old, and, and then there was a period where I started rebelling, and I wasn't fully surrendered. I didn't really understand. I understood who Jesus was. I understood that he forgave me of my sins, and I knew him. Like, I had a relationship with him. But I did not realize the amount of freedom I could experience in Christ when I laid it all down. And so my friendships in high school uh, and during uh, about a seven-year period, uh, there, there, were, there were decisions that I made that really cost me, and I really feel like the enemy stole that part of my life because it was not as rich as what Jesus would have made it had I been fully surrendered. So today, you may be there. You may be in a place where you are not fully surrendered. Like, you know Jesus as Savior, but you do not know him as Lord because there's some things you're holding on to. Like, you, you're not all in on this thing. And so, like, I want to encourage you to go all in. And by doing that, uh, to, by way to help us to learn a little bit about this, is we're going to look at the uh, life of Jacob. And Jacob was a patriarch of Israel. So God makes a promise to a guy by the name of uh, Abraham. He says, I'm going to make you into a father of many nations. If that's going to happen, then there has to be a son. So Abraham has a son named Isaac, and eventually um, we get to uh, this guy named Jacob. Jacob was a twin. He had a brother named Esau. And so if you're a twin here today or know somebody who has some twins or or, uh, you have twins, then you can kind of relate to Jacob. Jacob and Esau uh, were interesting characters. Jacob, his name sort of means a couple of different 
uh, ideas about his name. One, uh, like a, a, a supplanter or a deceiver a little bit. Grabber. The name means grabber. And interestingly enough, as he was born, he was second to be born. Esau was first. And generally, that is who had all of the birthright and would be the heir and all of these things. But Jacob came out holding on to Esau's heel. And we'll see throughout his life as we take a a quick survey today is that he's a grabber. He's grabbing a lot of things. Um, And ultimately, he finally figures out what it is that makes a difference in, in life and what we need to be laying our hands on. And so Jacob was chosen by God. But when we look at his life, because I want to bring you up to speed, so you can find his story along about Genesis 27, 28, I don't know exactly, but through uh, 30-something, you'll see it's a really cool read about uh, uh, Jacob. But Jacob was chosen by God. Um, he said when, when, the, when he was born, God said, the older will serve the younger. And so it was a choice of the Lord that he was going to be used in a special way. And so God had a plan for Jacob's life. Um, but he never really knew God. He rejected God's plan, or he tried to make things happen on his own. And we'll see that. Like, he's always trying to manipulate the situation. He believes in God, but he's always keeping things in his own control instead of just listening and following the plan that God has for him. And so he's always working different angles to make uh, his way come about the way that he wants it. When he was uh, young, he stole his brother's birthright. Brother comes in, he's hungry, and he says, his brother says, give me some of that stew you're, you're, you're making. He says, yeah, I'll give you some of this stew if you'll give me your birthright. And Esau's like, what good's a birthright to me if I die? He was evidently starving to death. And so he exchanges the birthright for him. And then later, um, there's this story that he's going to get the blessing. And Esau's hoping to get the blessing of uh, Jacob, or uh, get the blessing of uh, Isaac, and, and so he can't see very well. Isaac cannot. And so whenever he's, he's planning on blessing Esau. But again, I don't have time to go into the whole story. Jacob comes in and swoops in and, and manipulates the situation and receives the blessing um, from uh, his, his father, uh, Isaac. And so when that, that happens, we see him that he's, he's, he's kind of working things out the way that he wants to instead of just trusting that God will do what he said that he was going to do. And so it makes a mess uh, for him. And so when he steals his brother's birthright and he uh, takes advantage of the blessing, it causes him to flee because Esau wanted to kill him. He's like, you already got my birthright. Now you've, you've deceived me this way. You've gone in and, and manipulated the situation. And so he, he knew that Esau was out for his life and his mother um, knew that. And so they came up with this plan and he left home and went out uh, into a foreign place. And he ended up uh, running into a guy by the name of Laban. And Laban had a daughter uh, that he, man, he fell in love with. And, and so her name was Rachel and, and Jacob wanted to marry her. And so he told Laban, um, I want to marry her. And, and so Laban said, all right, if you work seven years for me, I'll give you my daughter. And so he works for seven years. And then uh, Laban gives him his daughter, but he doesn't give him the one he wants. And so he has to work seven more years, 14 years to get the woman uh, of his dreams. And he ends up with two women. I'll let you guys work all that out, but there it is. 
Uh, and so now um, he's experiencing some of the things that he did to his own brother. This guy's taking advantage of him. And then he starts to take care of his flocks. And as he's taking care of his flocks, they make an arrangement of what his wages are going to be. He's going to receive some of the livestock. And 10 different times Laban uh, like he changed his wages over the course of the years. And so the Lord kind of spoke to Jacob and, and said, you need, to, you need to get out of here. And so he took all of his stuff. He told his, his uh, family, like, meet me out here. He sent word for them. They met and they left. And, and, and so they were, they, they were moving away from Laban. And Laban figured out that they had left a few days later. So he goes out to encounter him and he's, he's going to take everything back. That's his plan. But the Lord intervened in a vision that, that Laban had through a dream and told him, don't touch Jacob. He, I got my hand on Jacob's life. And so through that, then they come together and they make an agreement that they set up a memorial stone and they say, all right, if you go beyond this side of the, the stone, then I will interpret it, Laban says, as a hostile act. And if I go on that side of the stone, then you are to interpret it as a hostile act. And so there's an agreement worked out between him and Laban. The problem is, is he's now moving into Esau's territory. So now Jacob finds himself uh, between a rock and a hard place because Esau is in front, his brother whom he took advantage of, and Laban is behind, and now he's in between, and he has to move into Esau's territory. And so uh, as he's moving in that direction, he sends some servants out to meet Esau. So he sends some of his guys out. He says, I want you to go meet with my brother and tell him I'm here in the, in the territory. The Lord has blessed me. I've got a lot of stuff. And so they, they go and they meet with the Esau and they take the word from Jacob to Esau. And when Esau hears of it, he, he goes back to meet Jacob and he's bringing 400 men with him. <laughs> So just imagine what Jacob is feeling like. I can't run. Esau is coming. He wanted to kill me when I left, and now I've sent word hoping things are going to work out, and my servants are telling me he's riding toward me at this very moment, bringing 400 men with him. He's thinking it's about to go down, and he's terrified. And so um, he uh, does what all terrified men do. He prays, right? This is his prayer. In, in Genesis chapter 32, verse 11. And this is where we, we pick up. Is this is all that's going on in Jacob's life. Is he's been successful out here. Now he's back in this territory. His brother's coming. And he is encountering the Lord at a moment in his life. As God has been blessing him, he has known God. But we're going to see him move into full surrender at this juncture in his life. And it says, save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. And so he's like, Lord, help me. Like he's coming, he's going to kill not only me, but my entire family and, 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 and the moms and the kids. Lord, you got to do something. And so Jacob is full of free, uh, fear, so he prays a prayer. But if we look at it, we can see it is a selfish prayer. It is about God saving him from his greatest fear. It is not a prayer about God and his lordship over Jacob's life. It is about his salvation. Like, save me again, Lord. Here I am. I'm in a pickle. I'm in a mess. Come up. Sh show up, Lord. I need your help. 
And so oftentimes when we know Jesus as Savior, and we've encountered him as Savior, and we do not know him as Lord, then the only time we pray is when we are in a position like this, when we're terrified. And that is not what lordship with Jesus is about. We ought to be praying and talking to the Lord often. He ought to be working in our lives. He ought to be moving in a way that we just know him. And he is our Lord and Savior. And so we're not just looking to him when we're in a mess. We're not just looking to him when we're stressed out about a relational issue. We're not just looking to him when financially things get a little bit awry for us. We have been looking for him and looking and talking to him all the time during all of the blessing, um, during all of the difficult times, all of the great times. We just know and talk to the Lord often. And that's the difference between fully surrendering to the Lord and knowing Jesus as Savior and then getting in a terrified situation and beginning to pray. A person who is fully surrendered to the Lord talks to the Lord all the time. And a person who only knows Jesus as Savior talks to Jesus when they're scared. Okay? That, that, that's a big difference in an individual's life. And so what we want to be is we want to be the kind of people who are fully surrendered to the Lord and we know him in an intimate way and we're walking with him on a continual basis. So we pick up in the story and we see what happens in verse 13. It says that he spent the night there. So he, he, he prays. He knows his brother's coming with 400 men. He thinks his brother's going to attack him. And it says he spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 uh, rams, 30 female camels and their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself. And said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the um, lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, to whom do you belong and where are you going and who owns all of these animals in front of you? Then you are to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau and he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second, the third, and all the others who followed the herds. You are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him. And be sure to say your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts. I'm sending on ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him. And he himself spent the night in the camp. And that night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Yabbok. And after he um, had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. It's a pretty smart plan. Um, after he prays, this is what I want you to see. After he prays, the Lord, listen, the Lord had already said, I have chosen him. At his birth, like he it was prophesied that he would, the older would serve the younger. But here in this particular moment, he's terrified. So he, pray, he prays, oh God, save me from my brother Esau, for he's coming to attack me. Lord, save me. And then he takes matters into his own hands, takes half of his possessions, sends them over. He's sending it in stages, hopefully, that as Esau sees it, he will be pacified and he won't kill him. And so he's trying to work the systems. And so he takes things into his own hands after he prays. The Lord never told him to do any of that. 
This is all Jacob coming up on his own, how he could work the system and, and get his brother not to kill him instead of realizing the Lord had his hand on his life and Esau was not going to be able to lay a finger on him. Now, the interesting thing about this part of the story is Laban was coming after Jacob from the other direction and he was going to kill him and take all of his possessions back because he didn't have anything left. But the Lord intervened on Jacob's behalf and told Laban, don't you touch him. And he didn't lose a thing. He didn't send anything to Laban. And so how did he, like in a 24-hour period, how did he forget what the Lord had just done in his life? Because he did not know him as Lord. He knew him as Savior. He did not know him intimately. He did not see a pattern of the Lord constantly showing up in his life because he wasn't talking to the Lord enough. He was living Jacob's life and then inviting the Lord to come into his life when he was in a panicked place. And so we see that happening again. He does not listen to the Lord. And it, it looks very familiar to me that oftentimes this is what we see people doing is they will pray to the Lord and then take things into their own hands and try to work a situation out. They will pray to the Lord to work in a relationship and, and and give the relationship to the Lord, and, and the person, maybe they break up with someone else, and then what's the next thing they do? Well, I'm just going to call them and see how they're doing. Why? If the Lord has told you to surrender that thing, why are you calling them? Why are you, why are you worrying about how you're going to work a situation out when the Lord has told you what to do? And so this is what we see happening in a person who is not fu fully surrendered. He surrenders the goats. He surrenders the sheep. He surrenders the camels. He surrenders the cows and the possessions. He even surrenders his family, but he stays on the other side of the river and doesn't surrender himself. That's the difference, okay? And so what happens? Well, look at verse 24. So Jacob was left alone, all by himself. Everyone else is going on ahead. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. He doesn't say who it is. Like Jacob is there, he's by himself, and all of a sudden a man shows up to wrestle with him, and he wrestles with him all night long. This is what we call a theophany or a Christophany. A theophany is when God reveals himself as God the Father in um, the Old Testament, and he shows up. A Christophany is when Christ shows up in the New Testament. Many scholars believe this is a Christophany, that Jesus took on human form, and it is the Jesus taking on human form that is literally wrestling with Jacob in this moment in time. And so it says, when the man saw that he could not overpower him. He touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless, bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? And Jacob, he answered. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. And so we often say that, that, that Jacob wrestled with God. But the truth of the matter is, is God is coming to wrestle with Jacob. Jacob is terrified on the other side of the river all alone. And the Lord shows up. And he begins this wrestling match with Jacob. And, 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 and so when we see Jacob wrestling with the Lord, Jacob puts up a stiff match and he wrestles with the Lord. <laughs> well, what's going on, man? Is God not very strong? No, man, the Lord has taken Jacob on a journey and all of a sudden he goes, boop, wham. He has no use of his leg. Just a touch. So, so 
why did he keep, like, what was the wrestling match going on? Well, you kind of envision a guy that's in the octagon, and he's like, had, he's just been beat up really bad, and you know the fight is over, but he's holding on to the dude, and he just won't let go of him, and the guy is like, and the ref has said, it's over, this match is done, you have no fight in you, and he won't let go, and so finally, like, he will not let go of the man that he's wrestling. And finally, he says, let go of me. And he says, I will not let go of me until you bless this relationship. And so he says, what is your name? My name is Jacob. My name is, uh, my name is supplanter. My name is deceiver. My name is, uh, uh, I'm living a joke. Your name shall now be Israel. You will no longer be the same. And, and, and he lets him go, and the, and the Lord blesses him in that moment. And so here's the deal. Um, he was crippled, and he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. His name is changed. God touched him. He's forever changed. You see, when a person really gets desperate, God begins to do a work in our hearts. And, and so the Lord, when, man, when he gets our attention, that's when we really learn the secret of surrender. And so Jacob finally wised up and surrendered. And now, so it's 1058. Now I got no blanks filled out. Here they come, rapid fire. Here's your takeaways. All right, get your ink pen ready. Write this stuff down. Number one, we learned from this lesson, the Lord wants you, not your stuff. He put everything else, send it all over on the other side. So the Lord wants you, not your stuff. The Lord wants you, not your money. Like you can surrender your money and give and be faithful, but the Lord can still not have you. He is interested in you. The Lord wants you, not your stuff. And until you come to that place in your life that you understand that the Lord wants me. What is me? My will, my constitution, my ability to make decisions apart from the Lord. The Lord wants that. Like that's what the Lord, the, the book of James says he jealously desires it. He jealously desires that, 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 that freedom of will that we have. That's why he gave it to us because it's what makes love possible is that when we take our will that we could choose to follow the Lord or reject the Lord, when we take that freedom of choice and we choose to follow the Lord and we give it all to him and we lay it all down, then we are giving him ourselves, and our possessions will follow. The Lord is interested in us. And so that's the first thing that I see from the story is um, that the word Yabak, the river, means emptying or a pouring out. And so the Lord wants you to empty yourself of yourself. And this is why Jesus says, if you want to find your life, you will lose your life. If you want to, um, if you want to be my disciple, you must take up your cross and crucify yourself. You must deny yourself and follow me daily. It's all about an emptying of ourselves and the secret of surrender. Here's the second thing. The Lord never loses. Like the Lord never loses. And so Jacob had been using God all his life. And he wanted God to bless him, but he didn't want God to lead him. And that's where a lot of people are. We want the Lord to bless us, but we don't want the Lord to lead us. He wanted a Savior, not a Lord. Here's what Galatians teaches us in chapter 6, verse 7. Be not deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. We see it in Jacob's life. He was deceiving people. He ended up getting deceived. He lost part of his life. And so he was reaping what it was that he was sowing. You cannot deceive God. He never loses. And so it is foolish for us to have a belief in Jesus as Savior and not own him as Lord. 
We're just we're like, we're cheating ourselves. The Lord is not going to lose out on that deal. The only people that are going to lose on that deal is, is, is ourselves. Like, again, I look at, back at my life, and I can tell you about that seven-year period. I feel like it was stolen from me. It is, it is a season in my life during the time of 15 to 22 that I was not fully surrendered to the Lord, and the enemy stole from me an experience that I could never get back. So all I could do is, is what I call double time now, is I'm just trying to live more life on this side of the f- being fully surrendered than I did to just make up for what was lost. But I can never regain it. The enemy took it away from me, and now I'm following the good shepherd. I'm fully surrendered, and he is giving me the abundant life. And so you cannot, um, the, the, the Lord um, um, cannot be defeated, and it is wise for us to recognize this and submit. And, and so God was showing Jacob that he was nothing without him. And that's what the whole uh, wrestling match was, was about. And so then the next takeaway, um, when you start limping, you start living. For the rest of his life, he walked with a limp. A lot of times people will say um, that, 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 that Christianity is a crutch. And I would say to you, I agree. I'm leaning on the Lord. I've recognized truth in my life that there is a creator. His name is Jesus Christ. He is my all-sufficient crutch. I take, I lean on him. I don't trust in myself. I lean on the Lord and trust not in my own understanding. I've taken his yoke upon me. His burden is easy and it is light. And I see that in Genesis chapter 32, verse 31, the sun rose above him as he passed Benile and he was limping because of his hip. He had been touched by the Lord. And what we learn from that is when a person is fully surrendered and touched by the Lord, they don't look the same anymore. Okay. So if you have looked the same post your encounter with Jesus and there's no transformation about your life, you have not fully surrendered to the Lord because people will know, man, there is a shift. There is a difference in the way this guy used to live. He has been touched by the Lord. His hip is out of socket and his walk is different. It it, it is one that that follows the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, Jacob was changed after his encounter with the Lord inside um, this wrestling match. He learned the secret of surrender, and he learned um, to lean on the Lord. And so the big idea, what is it? Surrender. Like, just surrender. Um, That is what life is all about. When you learn the secret of surrender and start limping through life, it is glorious, okay? When I was nine years old, I knew Jesus as Savior. Like I met him. I can remember praying a prayer, asking for forgiveness, receiving him into my life. And I walked with him. I had my own church camp experiences. I loved taking kids to church camp and being a part of it. The, the, the Lord was doing stuff in my life, but I wasn't fully surrendered. I would take it back. And then, uh, But at 22, man, the Lord showed me in the midst of my own spiritual octagon how to tap out and surrender to him. And so the thing that I want you to be encouraged by is as many people are, are in a place like this, um, they're willing to surrender a lot of things, but not themselves. And that's the only thing the Lord is interested in today that you have to offer is you. Like, like, what, like is, does, is the Lord looking down from heaven going, look at this dude right here helping the homeless people? It's the Lord looking down from heaven and going, what's this dude right here, how much he puts in the offering plate? Big deal. He could care less. 
He does not delight in our offerings and sacrifices. It is our heart that he is after. Because a heart that belongs to the Lord is one that realizes there is nothing it has to offer but a, a belief in Christ and taking myself and saying, here I am, Lord. I'm laying down my life in complete surrender to you. And when the Lord gets that, then the Lord starts moving. Like, that's where momentum takes place. That's where movement takes place. That's where breakthrough takes place. That's where we move beyond Jesus and the pettiness of Jesus as Savior. And we understand Jesus is Lord and Savior. And our lives are marked by the gospel. And we start walking different with a limp that is dependent upon Jesus. The Yabbok is the spiritual octagon and is the key to unlocking life. So some of you students, like, you loved camp. Like, you, some of you are depressed because you came home and it's not as, like, it's not as high energy. It's not as, um, it's not as spiritual as it's been because you just were immersed in it. Like, you're on a spiritual high. And so the, the, the thing is, is like you can either take that spiritual high and go, that's what my life is going to be like all the time. Or you can just sort of let it fizzle and quit surrendering to the Lord. And it won't be long and you'll be right back into your old ways, right back into your old rhythms. You're not in the word anymore. You're not trying to seek out a relationship with the Lord. And life sort of, you like just kind of settle into this new place. And you'll find yourself like seven years later going, what did I do? What you did is just got ripped off. Some of you are getting ripped off right now. And you've been getting ripped off for the last 30 years. Like, you, you know Jesus is Savior, but you're not fully surrendered to him as Lord. And so what do you do? Like, well, stop getting ripped off, man. Just stop this whole thing and go, man, I'm going to resurrender. What is the Lord asking for me? What is it that I'm holding on that I'm letting pride get in the way, that I'm not just letting go of and, and saying, Jesus, you can have this. Here I am. I'm, I'm all yours. You can have it. Here it is. Like, I'm, I'm going to quit holding on to this. And you, you look at those areas of your life, and here's the thing. <laughs> you got to come to a point when you're fully surrendered, your answer is yes before you know what the question is. And some of you, you already know what the question is, and you've been telling God no for a long time on a decision that he's asked you to surrender to. He's like, I'm kind of cold in my faith. It's not white hot anymore. Why not? Because you're not obeying the Lord. You're not surrendered. It's so like church is hard to come to because it's not a joy. Why? Because you, you got something between you and the Lord. He doesn't have all of you. You're, you're like, it's, it's, it's blocking the passageway of joy entering into your life, and disobedience will always do that. So as Corey leads us in this song, my challenge for you is like, what do you need to let go of today? What are you holding on to? What a, a, about yourself is trying to manipulate things like Jacob was? <laughs> Man, like... Come to the point where you realize, like we sing, I believe in the resurrection. I believe that he's coming again. Like, do you really, like, do you really believe that? Like, I do, man, and it's shaped my whole life. And the question is, as we, as we sing this song, is it shaping yours today? Or are you still shaping your life?
Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.